0: Okay, we're still in our Life Starts Now series in the Gospel of Mark. Are you guys still tracking with the Gospel of Mark? We've been in Mark for a long time now. Still with us? Good. Okay. So, it's an action-packed gospel, as you've noticed. And as we're going to see today, um, Jesus is up to more good things. He's portraying um, leadership as primarily service and He's a servant who would ultimately lay down his life for you and for me. I want to quickly draw your attention to a couple of key scriptures in the Gospel of Mark to kind of reframe this, recalibrate it for us, as to the purpose of Jesus and to this Gospel. First, Mark ten forty-five: For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. So Jesus, though he's God, fully God, fully man, he came... Not to be served, but to serve others, even to the point that he died for you and for me. That should give us an incredible sense of security and empowerment as we live for Him. Secondly, back to the first chapter, with respect to the purpose, it says this: uh, Jesus went into Galilee when he preached God's word, his good news, and said, the time. Promised by God has come at last, he announced. The kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. So it's this, it's this message, it's this encouragement to tangibly make a decision. To turn away from your sins. To turn away from the things that are holding you down. The things that are ruining your lives. The things that enforce you being your own God. To turn away from those things to repent and turn to Jesus and believe the good news, the gospel. It's good news, uh, as Christy said, for for going to heaven, to being with Jesus, but it's also good news now, as Jameson shared with us, it's good news now for people's lives here and now, as they as they follow Jesus and experience salvation and peace with him now and for eternity. So the good news is incredible. We're going to keep looking at that today, but it does require a response from each of us. My prayer is that as we're here today, as we worship together, as we hear from God's Word, that the Spirit's going to continue to open our hearts to what He wants to do in and through us. So Jesus came not to be served, but to serve others. Question for each one of us today, have we come to be served or to serve, following in Jesus' example? I want you to think about the concepts of prominence and significance, Maybe synonymous, but there might be a little bit of a difference there. Prominence versus significance. Where do you find your true significance in life? Are you building a personal, you know, platform? Or are you finding significance in the one who laid down his life for each of us? Point number one. Are you just building a personal platform or finding significance in Jesus? I'm not against kind of, Building up your resume, setting yourself apart, pursuing your goals, trying to get into the school that you want to get into, attaining the, the job or the career that you want. Those are all good things. But at the end of the day, are you, is it about you and lifting yourself up and your own little kingdom and your platform? Or is it about Jesus? For all the flack that Tim Tebow got back in the day, there was no question as to where the glory was going to, right? When he scored all those incredibly awkward running touchdowns, leading his team to all those crazy victories. I mean, we knew where he was giving the glory, right? As much as he took criticism. So I'm all for doing the best that you can and pursuing goals. But as we look to the example of Jesus, are we here to to be served or to serve others? Are we Are we taking the glory or does God get the glory as you pursue your goals, build your company? It's about God's kingdom, not our kingdom. Obviously, we're we're encouraged to celebrate our uniqueness, set ourselves apart in some special way, celebrate the wins. I think that can all be uh, helpful. I was thinking about this this week as I was driving around Fresno looking at bumper, bumper stickers on cars. I'm not a big fan of bumper stickers. Well, let me put it this way. I like to look at them and read them and kind of laugh at them, maybe even mock people for having them on their car, but... But I don't, I don't, I would never put them on my car. So it's kind of a love, dislike thing. I like them, but I would never really put them on my car. One of my kids last week, we went out to lunch and they saw somebody's car was just plastered with stickers. Some of them were bumper stickers, but it was just like every kind of sticker you can think about for every place their family went on vacation to their favorite burger joint to whatever mixed in with some theological messages, some political messages, some controversial messages and one of my kids just thought, "Oh, that's the greatest thing!" I said, "No, we are never putting stickers on our, never putting stickers on our car." That said, as I was thinking about this message this week, I saw a lot of bumper stickers, and I want to show you a couple just in the just in the spirit of humor, okay? Um, here, oh, there it is. Okay, first of all, kudos to teachers, educators, administrators, parents, and kids pursuing education. Stuff like this is great, okay? I've been to those honor roll ceremonies at my kids' elementary school. It's great. It's to be celebrated. Um, But it's also a little bit humorous. You see these around on cars, right? My child is an honor roll student at whatever school. Um, It's meant to kind of elevate, celebrate. That's fine. Here's a couple other bumper stickers I came across. My kid skates boards better than your honor student. My kid's skateboard is better than your honor student. I suppose that's cool if that leads to like being a professional skateboarder. You're going to be in the X Games. It doesn't matter if you go to college or not then. Um, Next one. My child made parole. Another really positive step towards contributing to society. That's to be celebrated too. Finally, I kind of like this one. Proud parent of a child whose self-esteem doesn't depend on minor scholastic achievements being displayed on a car bumper. Okay, So again, no no offense, if you have the, my child is an honor roll on your car, that's great. Like I said, the honor roll is a good thing. Um, but we're encouraged to kind of set ourselves up and celebrate our own uh, prominence. But we don't need to build our own kingdom, or our own earthly kingdoms. What we need to do is align ourselves with Jesus' kingdom building. Let's build into that instead. Let's take a look now at how Jesus views greatness. If you're if you're able to stand, I invite you to stand with us. We're going to read a few verses out of Mark chapter nine, verses thirty through forty-one. If you have a red Bible, that's eight, page eight thirty-eight. Let's begin in verse thirty, going through verse forty-one. Leaving that region, they traveled through Galilee. Jesus didn't want anyone to know he was there, for he wanted to spend more time with his disciples and teach them. He said to them, The Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of his enemies. He will be killed, but three days later he will rise from the dead. They didn't understand what he was saying, however, and they were afraid to ask him what he meant. After they arrived in Capernaum and settled into a house, Jesus asked his disciples, What were you discussing out on the road? But they didn't answer because they had been arguing about which of them was the greatest. He sat down, called the twelve disciples over to him and said, Whoever wants to be first must take last place and be a servant of everyone else. Then he put a little child among them. Taking the child in his arms, he said to them, Anyone who welcomes a little child like this on my behalf welcomes me. And anyone who welcomes me welcomes not only me but also my father who sent me john said to jesus teacher we saw someone using your name to cast out demons but we told him to stop because he wasn't in our group don't stop him jesus said no one who performs a miracle in my name will soon be able to speak evil of me anyone who is not against us is for us And if anyone even gives you, gives you even a cup of water because you belong to the Messiah, I tell you the truth. That person will surely be rewarded. Please have a seat. So Jesus speaks to his death and resurrection, what makes a person great in the sight of God, childlike qualities with respect to faith and even rewards. Now with the knowledge of, of Jesus, being there, in the beginning of this passage we see, you know, he's, he's done a lot of ministry. Now he wants to focus in on his disciples. So knowledge of him being around would no doubt bring a crowd, but he kind of tucks away a little bit. He wants to turn his attention to teaching his disciples and spending time directly with them. Verse 31, he begins to teach them. He says, the son of man is going to be betrayed into the hands of his enemies. He will be killed. But three days later, he will rise from the dead. Those are some pretty straightforward words about what's going to happen. And they've heard this before, but it's interesting. In a a parallel account in the Gospel of Luke, we're told that the meaning of what Jesus said was actually hidden from them. It was hidden from them. So I think while they maybe heard the part about, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to die, They didn't quite clue into the rest. They didn't even understand it. It seems here that maybe God had been working with them in the way that he would work with the masses, with with parables. With parables, the meaning was only perceived by people who had a thirst for God and his kingdom, that were so inquisitive, desiring to follow God. But for everybody else, it would just confound them. And here the disciples simply aren't ready to understand what Jesus will be facing accomplishing on the cross, let alone his resurrection. No, you know, they're looking for a political leader. They're looking for this kingdom now. They're looking for places of prominence and greatness. And maybe they only kind of heard like, hey guys, I'm going to die. And they start talking about, okay, who's the next man up? Who's the greatest among us? So even with this assurance from Jesus, when he says, three days later, he will rise from the dead, they were blinded to that. Makes me wonder sometimes, as we read the Bible, as we get into Scripture, what are we blinded to? What are we just not ready to hear or to understand or to comprehend? That's why it's great to read the Bible in community. We're doing that now in some respects. If you join a connection group, a Bible study, an R&R group, you get the chance to chew on Scripture in community and let the Spirit work through the group as well. So. That's a value for people that call themselves Anabaptists. A high view of the Bible as interpreted in in community. So I want to encourage you to get connected and study the Bible with others. So he's told them three times he's going to die, but they don't understand the rest. This is evidenced by this little spat that they find themselves in. Let's look at verses 33 and 34. After they arrived in Capernaum and settled in a house, Jesus asked his disciples, what were you discussing on the road? But they didn't answer because they had been arguing about which of them was the greatest. Little clue there, a little bit of human nature coming out as the, as the disciples argue which of them would be the, the next best leader or if somehow Jesus did come back, you know, who would be the next right hand person arguing about prominence. If we're honest, I think we can relate. You can see this kind of happening early. It's kind of in our human nature. We want to, we want to stand out. We want to be respected, valued. We kind of like the spotlight. We like prominence. I think back to being a kid. Nobody wanted to be the last person picked on a team. I remember at recess, we had 15 minutes. In 15 minutes, we put on our ice hockey skates. We put on our jacket. If we were lucky, we gra- grabbed our gloves, our hockey stick, and we had then we had about 12 minutes to play hockey on the school rink. By the way, I'm from the Great White North, so we—that was our recess, and um, it was it was an incredible time to just, you know, have, have fun with that. But we we didn't want to be the last person picked on that team. You might not even get to play with only about 12 minutes left of recess. But I look at I look at how people kind of set themselves up to be prominent. Right now, a little bit of my, my guilty pastime is, well, I'm a bit of a sports junkie. I know the Super Bowl's coming up. I'm all in on basketball right now. I find the NBA fascinating, and I know that March Madness is coming soon. So as as Russell Westbrook, one of the most dynamic players in the NBA, went back to Oklahoma City, where he played the bulk of his career this week, there was a little Twitter dispute between former teammates, Kevin Durant and Kendrick Perkins one of them, one of the best players ever to play, another of them a support role player. But what did their spat, you know, boil down to? Basically trying to say who's more prominent, who who is who has the more influence, who had the right view of Russell Westbrook coming back and then but it turned into themselves because we're inherently selfish people. If you spend too much on time on Twitter, you're going to get sucked into that or any other social media. People are just kind of on there just kind of like pointing the arrows at themselves and getting into disputes. Um, But it's interesting to see that happen. So back to the disciples and their failure to discern what Jesus is saying. If you think about it, the human mind has this amazing ability to reject that which it does not wish to see or hear, as we see with the disciples. It's like, last time I'm going to go to basketball, I think. It's like looking at these guys, clearly Michael Jordan is the greatest player to ever play basketball, followed by Kobe Bryant, followed by LeBron James. I don't have time to get into why, but if you don't if you don't agree with me, clearly, like the disciples, your mind has been blinded to the truth. I'm just I'm just kidding, um, but that's kind of how it works. We're easily blinded to things. Um, so the disciples are arguing over greatness and prominence, and they're blinded. But Jesus calls them over and he says this in verse 35. Whoever wants to be first must take last place and be the servant of everyone else. Whoever wants to be first must take last place and serve everybody else. A servant leader. This must have sounded so odd to the disciples who had their hopes set on this political and earthly kingdom with influence and prestige and control and power. By the way, the concept of servant leadership has garnered a lot of interest even in the secular world. On Amazon, there's over 2,000 books written about servant leadership. And not only is Jesus talking about leadership, he's talking about dying, and he's talking about to be first, you have to be last, and you have to serve everyone else. So the disciples are kind of left grasping for prominence and they don't understand the godly significance of all this. And I think we have a hard time with this too. It's real it's easy to talk about serving and servant leadership, it's harder to do. As I've been letting this kind of simmer in my mind all week, I'm always kind of got one eye here and one eye in the news and media and culture and what's going on as a as a dual citizen, an American and a Canadian. Well, actually I'm a I'm a I've got three citizenships. So I'm first. I'm a citizen of heaven, like you if you follow Jesus. Okay, then, then I'm an American. Then I'm in a, then I'm a Canadian. But if I'm preaching in Canada, I can move those around if I need to. Okay, but I'm no. I'm I'm a citizen of heaven. Then I'm an American. Then I'm in a Canadian. With com, with Canadian descent, uh, I couldn't help but peek in on kind of the royal family news. Okay, I don't I don't have time to explain this, but. There's a little bit of a connection still between the UK and the royal family and Canada and some of the other Commonwealth countries, and they visited the city I grew up in, and we sang songs about them, and so it's part of Canadian culture, so I noticed this. Okay, there they are, Prince Harry, Duchess Meghan, Little Archie. Okay, the big deal right now is they, without telling the rest of the royal family, they said, uh, we're going to step back a little bit. We don't want to be senior royals anymore. In fact, we're going to live in North America, a.k.a. Canada, because uh, they just spent six weeks on Vancouver Island without the paparazzi. They want to step back. They want to step back from the prominence that the royal family brings them. They're, they're thirsting for significance in their life. They're thirsting for significance for their son. But apart from the prominence of the monarchy... And you understand that the U.K. also has a prime minister and a parliament, and so it's not really on the royal family to lead the country. Um, But they want to step back from that and find some significance. I would tell them, hey, moving to Canada could be cool, but why don't you order your life around Jesus and find real significance and then decide what to do. But, again, just caught my eye. They don't want prominence, but they want significance somehow. And I think... Whether we're attracted to prominence or not, we all want to feel significant. We all want our lives to matter, to be attached to something that matters. And as followers of Jesus, there's no doubt that we have that. So I encourage you to continue to look at following Jesus if you haven't begun to do that yet. Um, Let's go back to the text. Verse 36 and following. Then he put a little child among them. Taking the child in his arms, he said to them, anyone who welcomes a little child like this on my behalf welcomes me. And anyone who welcomes me, not only me, but also my father who sent me. So Jesus further explains greatness by talking about the posture of a child. And uh, his actions in this passage carry even more weight when you realize that in Aramaic, the same word is used for both child and servant. So he's giving an example about a child, but he's saying something too about the posture of, of a servant. See, when we when we receive Jesus, when we actually enter or are received into his kingdom, we do this because we turn away from this way and we turn to God. But when we do when a child does that, they don't bring. Anything with them, right? So when you pick up an infant or a young child, it's not like they're, they're, they're presenting themselves with all their achievements and their accolades and their obedience and you, but you pick up that child and you love them and you care for them and their posture is just open to receiving that love. So a child comes to a trusted adult without any greatness, prominence, achievements, and if you've held a newborn baby, you, you, you get that, you know, they're relying on you. It's an incredible uh, picture. So Jesus says, if you welcome a child like this, you're welcoming not only me, but my father. He goes on to say something more about children with respect to the kingdom of God. The next chapter, let's look briefly at that. Chapter 10, verses 13 through 16. Chapter 10, 13 through 16. One day some parents brought their children to Jesus so he could touch and bless them. But the disciples scolded the parents for bothering them. When Jesus saw what was happening, he was angry with his disciples. He said to them, Let the children come to me. Don't stop them. For the kingdom of God belongs to those who are like these children. Just let that sink in. The kingdom of God belongs to those Who are like these children. Remember what we said earlier about what's a child's posture? They're not bringing their self-greatness to an adult when you... It's moving on. I tell you the truth. Anyone who doesn't receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. Then he took the children in his arms and placed his hands on their heads and blessed them. Receive the kingdom of God. Receive Jesus as the leader and savior of your life with childlike trust and purity. This is one, as I, as I let these passages sink in, it's one of the reasons that I have a fondness for childhood conversions. You know, we're talking about youth ministry earlier today, but personally I came to faith in Christ when I was just barely four. This is before children's church and all, and all sorts of other uh, great things that we have for teaching children, but I was sitting in a service and heard a message from a guest speaker at four and went home and talked to my parents about it and prayed with my parents to turn away from my sin and become a follower of Jesus. I was only four. I didn't have a lot of understanding, but I knew that I was inherently sinful. I knew that Jesus was God's son and even God and that he died for my sin and that I could receive him. I learned more later, but I knew I, I had enough to exercise faith at that age. It's great seeing a lot of the young children in our church follow Jesus from an early age. It's been great seeing my own kids put their faith in faith in Christ at a young age. And one another thing I noticed, just kind of attending church, being a part of churches for over 30 years, I've heard a lot of baptism testimonies. And I've heard a lot of testimonies from adults who, who go back to You know, this, this might have happened during high school or my young adult years, then I came. But when I was three, when I was four, when I was five, when I was seven, whatever, you know, I went to a neighborhood Bible study. I went to Sunday school with my grandma. I prayed with my parents to receive Jesus. I heard a message and prayed to God. It's like that, that conversion point as a child is not, it means something. And we know that Jesus says that He promises to complete the work that He starts in us. So there's something about That childlike faith that I think is incredibly awesome. It's real, first of all, and it's, it's, uh, it's without all the baggage of all the stuff that we have a hard time setting aside. So I want to encourage all of us, if you have kids, if you have grandkids, if you're involved in children's ministry, this is, this is serious business. This is, this is real souls and there's no junior Holy Spirit. So I'm excited about the fact that God calls people to himself, even at a young age. And we've got these incredible examples in Mark about the posture of a child with respect to the kingdom of God. And Jesus is saying, be like a child. Have this kind of faith and receptivity towards the kingdom of God. Next, it seems the disciples still don't quite get it. And now they want to challenge the the credentials of an outsider. Let's go to verse 38. Uh, John basically complains... To Jesus, He says, hey, there's somebody else using your name to cast out demons. And we told him to stop because he's not in our group. See, they're still struggling with this. You're in, you're out, it's our group. Who's going to be the next leader? Who's the greatest? We have the power. We only want to be the people that can heal and pray for people. Their focus is is a little bit off. Um, The irony, of course, is that this man who they're upset at, apparently had success driving out demons, while the disciples had recently failed doing that. Isn't that interesting? It's kind of a heart check again. The disciples had been incorrect to stop that guy, and they were also incorrect in their assumption that they should have a monopoly on the power of Jesus Christ. If you follow Jesus, you're an ambassador, you're a representative of Jesus. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you and me. I think we can pray for people for deliverance, for healing, for help, for whatever they need in Jesus' name. So they're jealous of a man who healed in Jesus' name because they were more concerned about their own position in their own group. Sometimes I think we struggle with this a little bit. Even as Christ followers, we're kind of enamored with our own kind of group. Um, Sometimes we might find ourselves passing judgment on another Church family or church, you know, denomination or ministry not affiliated with our church or we don't want to partner in ministry with someone because our church won't get enough of the credit or recognition or we're uncomfortable with the people from this place because they don't, they don't seem like us in some way. Um, but people who are Jesus followers don't always resemble each other or belong to the same groups but we do have the common goal of proclaiming the gospel and building the kingdom of God. And we're not we're not clamoring for prominence. We're finding our significance in Christ and in His mesh, mission in the world. Point two, don't clamor for prominence. Find your significance in Christ. That's why I love the 21 days of prayer and fasting service. Christy gave us a great kind of testimon- first-hand testimonial of how impactful that's been, just the last few days alone for her and Dexter, um, but with this 21 days of prayer and, and fasting and, this, and the services that go nightly, we're partnering all the churches in the city are coming together in unity. Now we might not all agree on the finer points of theology, but we agree on the primary essentials: Who is Jesus and what did He do, and what does that mean for us and our communities? And we gather around that. And that builds unity. And so I encourage you, just like Christy said, if you get a chance to check up every night leading up to the 26th, there should be an order at uh, where the services are at the Connection Center or perhaps in your bulletin. But check it out. It's incredibly fun to worship with people from different backgrounds and from around the city. And I encourage you, go check out a church that's not in North Fresno. I mean, we got about... Two thousand options of churches on Knees Avenue alone, but go to, go to, go downtown, go somewhere else, go to West Fresno, go to Southeast Fresno, find a service where you've never been in that area or that neighborhood of Fresno and worship with other believers. Finally, God willingly uses all people and all gifts for building His kingdom. You can have significance if you yield your abilities and your gifts to be used by Jesus. Verse 41, if anyone gives you even a cup of water because you belong to the Messiah, I tell you the truth, that person will surely be rewarded. Even offering someone a cup of water will be rewarded, and it has significance if you are identified with Jesus Christ. So no doubt the 12 disciples had a special calling on their life, but God is willing to use anyone who turns to him. And he'll use even the most humble gift to build his kingdom. Again, one of the ways I believe that you can get your gifts kind of activated and using them. By by the way, it's kind of miserable to be a Christian and not to be using your gift or gifts. It really is. It's frustrating. It's miserable. One of the ways you can test this out is is to volunteer to serve. Kind of just serve in this area, this area, this area, this area. We have on-ramps for that usually every fall. Um, But you can talk to any of the staff at any time if you're interested in serving in a certain area. That's kind of a good trial and error method. An even better thing to do is to go talk to people close to you and and ask them, hey, how do you see God gifting me for ministry? And listen to what those people say. Of course, you can do an online assessment. That's helpful. Put all that together and you should have a little bit more clarity on, on your gifts and how those can be used. But... Nothing beats getting in a group of people where naturally who God created you to be kind of comes comes out. Um, In a connection group, someone might be leading the discussion. Someone else might jump in to help facilitate, but different people are sharing. Then there's prayer requests, and people want to pray for each other. There's things happening with kids, with food, with the place that you're meeting at. There's a whole, there's maybe crisis points, there's communication throughout the week. It's a great thing to get into a a connection group, a class, a Bible study, something where you can have a sense of community, where you can be in relationship with each other, growing in your relationship with God. And that's where your gifts kind of get tested out. I really feel like a lot of clarity came to me just by being in small groups for a long, long time. Even some of the most uncomfortable Not fun small groups can be beneficial to your spiritual growth, so go for it. It's going to be great. we got sign-ups at the back um, after the service if you want to check out what groups that we have available. I want to invite the rest of the worship team forward as well. Friends, we're not here to do religion or to seek self-importance or self-prominence. We're here to encounter Jesus and to help other people encounter Jesus and to become like Him. Servants of all for the good of the kingdom. English pastor and theologian John Stott said this about being a servant who leads. The authority by which the Christian leader leads is not power, but love. Not force, but example. Not coercion, but reasoned persuasion. Leaders have power. but power is only safe in the hands of those who humble themselves to serve. So if you want to lead, if you want to lead with influence, attach yourself to Jesus and His mission and serve. Begin to serve in whatever way God puts in front of you. Final point: are you willing to take last place and be a servant of others? This is how you find your significance with respect to the body of Christ. And you have that empowerment. Perhaps you're sitting here today and you're thinking of Someone you want to encourage. You see gifts in someone. You see someone in having incredible abilities to serve and bless others, but they're on the sidelines. Go talk to them, encourage them today to get involved in building Christ's kingdom. Maybe you're thirsting for community and encouragement and you're lonely or you haven't been using your spiritual gifts and you're frustrated. Get involved in a connect, in a connection group. Join a ministry team to serve. Knock on your neighbor's door and have a conversation. Begin to understand the needs around you and step in. And maybe as you've listened today, you want to take that step of following Jesus. You don't want to build your own kingdom and platform and set yourself up as your savior and everybody else's, but you want to turn away from the things that you know are wrong, the way that the things that you did, that God didn't create you to do. And turn to Jesus and experience peace and eternal life now and forever in a life of purpose serving in God's kingdom. We we'll invite you to, to come to the side if you have any prayer concerns at the conclusion of the service. We'll have our prayer team available again. You can come back tonight at five o'clock, second Sunday prayer. We'll celebrate, we'll worship together. We'll pray. We'll celebrate communion and we'll make a time available to receive prayer as well let's conclude this morning in prayer great god we're so excited for the plans that you have not only for bethany but for our community for the gospel to go forth and make a real impact we thank you for 21 days of prayer and fasting we thank you for youth for christ we thank you for bethany church and all the incredible churches of our city that have aligned themselves with your purposes and jesus we pray that you continue to soften our hearts open our hearts to the things that you would have us step into as far as ministry, connection, serving others. God, may your Holy Spirit reign in our lives and in this church. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.